Hello, and welcome to 7-Minute Explainers, your audio guide to everything you need to know about compelling and complex topics. I'm Lauren Hansen, an editor at TheWeek.com, and today I'd like to tell you about the first woman to run for president. Long before Hillary Clinton or Shirley Chisholm, or even before women were allowed to vote, Victoria Woodhull ran for president in the 1872 election. Victoria Claflin was born in 1838 in Homer, Ohio. She was the seventh of ten children, and though she was named after Queen Victoria, who was coronated that same year, her life was far from regal. Her family was poor, her father Buck was a con man and a petty thief. Her mother Annie was said to be emotionally unstable and was also a devout spiritualist. Victoria had only a few years of schooling before she was forced to earn some money. Her parents believed Victoria and her younger sister Tennessee, called Tenny, to be gifted healers and mediums. So the girls spent their days conducting seances for a dollar a pop. At the age of 14, Victoria swapped one erratic life for another when she married Canning Woodhall, a doctor twice her age. But the doctor turned out to be an alcoholic womanizer who couldn't hold down a job. Victoria had two children with Woodhall and spent a lousy decade working various jobs to support the family before finally getting a divorce. Victoria caught a bit of a break in some stability with her second husband, Colonel James Harvey Blood, a Civil War veteran, who introduced Victoria to the political world and the women's suffrage movement. But Victoria's life really opened up in the 1860s when her family and sister Tenny moved to New York City. New York City was ripe for a young radical thinker and entrepreneur like Victoria. Soon after settling in, she opened a salon for her like-minded progressives and established herself a fierce conversationalist and debater. It was also a hot time for spiritualism. And so, as working clairvoyance, Victoria and Tenney enjoyed a bit of a celebrity status, making connections with New York City's upper echelon of society which is exactly how they befriended railroad and shipping tycoon Cornelius Vanderbilt, who sought the sisters out for their stock tips. He'd split the earnings when their predictions were right, and soon enough, the sisters had built up some serious capital. In 1870, they opened their own brokerage firm. Woodhall, Claflin, and company became the first female-owned American company that bought and sold stocks. Unlike other stock brokerages at the time, the sisters welcomed female clients that ranged from madams and their girls to suffragettes to the wives of businessmen. That same year, Victoria and Tenney also started their own newspaper, which they used to promote women's suffrage and labor reform. In 1871, Victoria notched yet another historic first when she became the first woman to address a congressional committee. She implored the committee to draft legislation to grant women the right to vote on the basis that it technically already existed, since the 14th and 15th Amendment granted the right to all citizens. Though her plea was tabled, Victoria continued to garner support and attention. In the early 1870s, Victoria had power. She had money, notoriety, and a purpose to fight a system rigged against women. Women at this time could not cast a vote, but it technically wasn't illegal for them to run for the country's highest office. And though she was just 34 years old, a year shy of the legal age in which a man could run, Victoria announced her candidacy for president. 
the Equal Rights Party nominated her and Victoria Woodhull's name appeared on the 1872 ticket along with incumbent Ulysses S. Grant and challenger Horace Greeley. Victoria campaigned on a platform light years ahead of the patriarchal time she lived in. She supported issues like the eight-hour workday, new divorce laws, and social welfare programs. She was a vehement advocate for equal rights and education for women, supporting, among other things, a woman's right to control her own wealth and decisions. But it wasn't long before Victoria's political power was dismantled. For one, the Equal Rights Party named prominent abolitionist Frederick Douglass as her running mate, without even asking him. Douglass never acknowledged the offer and actually campaigned for Grant. And the reality was that Victoria was the unlikely third-party candidate in a two-party system. Though her chances were slim, her opponent spared little in their attacks. Victoria's personal matters, her business and reform activities, her support of free love and women's independence were targeted by men and women alike. Even her clothing was ridiculed, for her skirts fell at the scandalous length of just above the ankle. Men just didn't know what to make of this brash, freewheeling divorcee. A political cartoonist at the time depicted her as Mrs. Satan. Victoria's finances took a serious hit and she was forced to shut down her newspaper for several months during the campaign. When she did resume publication, she went on the offensive, lashing out at public figures. And this tactic would be her downfall. When she called out Reverend Henry Ward Beecher for his adulterous relationships, the public was outraged. Victoria and her sister were sued for criminal libel and they were arrested for sending obscenities through the mail. When Election Day finally came around in 1872, Victoria received zero electoral votes. But it didn't matter much, since she was still in jail when Ulysses S. Grant won. Not long after the botched election, Victoria left the U.S. to live in England. There, she married a banker and lived a long and much quieter life. But her rabble-rousing wasn't all for nothing. In 1884, Belva Lockwood also ran for president as the Equal Rights Party nominee, though women voters weren't able to voice their support for her either. And that does it for this episode of 7-Minute Explainers. Look out for new episodes every Thursday on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To listen to the week's selection of podcasts, including 7-Minute Opinions and This Week I Learned, go to theweek.com audio. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, tell your friends, and give us a rating or a review on iTunes. I'm Lauren Hansen, and thank you so much for listening. Music